Every session, Nevada senators from both sides of the aisle raise their voices and sing Home Means Nevada, the state's official song, on the Senate floor. Senate Majority Leader Nicole Cannizzaro reflects on this tradition. When people meet me from Nevada, they they often find it strange that we have Nevada Day and that we're all so sort of feverishly passionate about our state's founding because we were sort of born out of the Civil War and an effort to have more more support for the Union. And so we do generally have at least one day where we will sing the state song on the floor of the Senate. Home Means Nevada was written in 1932. And now, when legislators join voices within the hallowed halls of the state capitol, that song connects them to all the previous legislators who've sang it and reflects their pride at the state's founding in 1864. History has given us the traditions that strengthen bonds both within the capitol and across the aisle. History has established the rules and precedents that preserve civility and enable democracy to function. History has been the foundation for this very podcast, and as legislatures continue to grow into 21st century institutions, history can help them move forward. Tim Story, NCSL's executive director, is a student of history. One of the things we can learn from studying legislatures is that they faced massively daunting issues that were incredibly dividing and they had their ups and their downs and yet our legislative institutions have endured. Today, in our final installment of this podcast, we look ahead to the future of legislatures, the challenges and successes on the horizon and the hope that legislatures will stay grounded in the past, focused on the future, and throughout it all remain committed to building democracy. It's the former territory's first election as a state. Members, without this bill, it's a wild, wild west. Senator, please take a seat. You're out of order. No deadlines. Anybody can do whatever they want, whenever they want, however they can. The Senate will come back to order. Point of order, Madam Chair. Order. A house divided against itself cannot stand. What a privilege it is for us to be on these very grounds. Welcome to the Statehouse. Let's give the Statehouse welcome. Thank you for all you do. Building Democracy, the story of legislatures with Megan McClure and Mandy Zock. Idaho Speaker Scott Bedke, the longest-serving speaker in Idaho history, walks down the hall near his office, past portraits of all the former legislatures. I sometimes will look at those pictures. Of course, we're all parochial, so we try to find the seat that you're in at this point. But then the thought runs through my mind of what would they think and have things changed and is the, all of the, all the dynamics in the building, the palace gossip, that type of thing, is it the same as it's always been? Just south in neighboring Nevada, Speaker Jason Frierson walks past a similar wall. As the first African-American speaker of the Nevada Assembly, Speaker Frierson reflects on how past lawmakers would react to the current state of Nevada's legislature. The thing that would shock original legislators if they were dropped into the assembly today is the fact that we have an African-American speaker of the assembly. I look at those pictures every day and I'm, I'm humbled, but also I think they would be shocked by the diversity throughout the body. Not only do we have uh, ethnic diversity, but we also have the first female-led majority legislature in the history of the country. 
There's more than a few differences between these two speakers, party, race, the districts they represent, but they also have something very important in common, a respect for the past, including the many people who served under their capital domes before them, and a commitment to taking care of the legislative institution so that it endures into the future. When we think of the legislative institution, we often think of the Capitol or State House, the physical structure where current legislators inhabit the same space as those that came before. Speaker Bedke reflects on the power of that historical continuity. We're in the same room in the same building that the very early legislatures met in. Not the very first ones, but since 1915. There's been a conscious effort in my generation, to turn the place into a working museum and not to to stand the Capitol building up as a museum and then have the work done in an adjacent office building. And I've been fairly protective of the uh, historical nature of the building from the remodel. We remodeled it in 2006-07, and uh, I was the chair on the house on the remodel and the design and the space allocation back before I was the speaker. So I'm kind of invested in the history of the building. When legislators step into their capital, they're surrounded by history. Whether that edifice was built in 1772, as is the case for Maryland State House, the oldest capital in continuous use, or 1972, when Florida's new capital was built to house the growing state government and legislative staff. Each legislator walks in the footsteps of those who came before, literally and figuratively, Speaker Frierson shares how a little historical digging revealed an important connection to his own life and leadership role. I had the privilege recently of signing a proclamation on behalf of one of my members whose grandfather was a former Speaker Pro Tem. I was certainly honored to even be asked, but I do my homework. And so I I looked him up to make sure that I wasn't signing a proclamation of somebody that had a troubled past. And come to find out, back in 1969, he co-sponsored a bill recognizing what was the equivalent then of Black History Week. And his grandson, who was was in the legislature, didn't know. So I told him, not only am I honored to do it, but did you know your grandfather was a trailblazer? Taking the time to reflect on a legislature's past and future trajectory can feel like a luxury when coupled with other pressures of modern legislative life. Passing legislation, responding to constituent needs— meeting deadlines, campaigning, and even maintaining another job as many legislators do. For Speaker Bedke, though, strengthening the institution isn't ancillary, it's essential. I do feel duty-bound to maintain the integrity of the legislative process and the legislature as an institution. I think that's as simple as maintaining standards of decorum, not only in dress and in speech, but in the way that the committees operate. But I think that this this place is bigger than any of the individuals, and it's on the speaker to maintain that. We lean heavily on institutional knowledge and memory, and my role as a speaker become the keeper of that. Respect for tradition is a hallmark of the legislative process, but so is innovation. Here's Speaker Frierson again. I know that this institution was here before me and it's going to be here after me. And so I think that we have to be careful while we want to preserve decorum and traditions. We have to be open and flexible to allow for this body to go in directions that we can't imagine. I'm sure 50 years ago, no one imagined I'd be here. 
How can states balance the traditions and rules that maintain civility and enable efficiency with innovations that build inclusion and public engagement? Mason's Manual of Legislative Procedure doesn't have guidelines for when and where lawmakers can film TikTok videos yet, so states have to find their own balance. And as listeners of this podcast know, every state will strike that balance in its own unique way. In March 2020, the COVID-19 pandemic hit the United States, and lawmakers all across the country found themselves in the middle of a real-time institutional stress test. Nearly every aspect of governing, of life, was affected, but legislatures were nimble and they adapted. In addition to determining what policies would best protect the state, legislators found new ways to meet, legislate, make quick decisions, and represent their constituencies. Some took to Zoom to deliberate and vote. Some patched or revamped their IT systems to accommodate remote public participation. Some transitioned their entire legislative staff operation to remote work. And some reworked crucial aspects of the legislative process. It's no doubt that the COVID-19 pandemic is the biggest institutional crisis legislatures have faced in the still young 21st century. But such a challenge also brought opportunity especially in terms of technology. I think technology is kind of a tool capacity issue that in many ways has been dealt with, especially during the COVID epidemic, because legislatures had to really leverage technology to stay close to people, to get the business of the people done. So, you know, we've definitely seen a huge explosion of the integration of technology, public access, sophisticated websites, sophisticated tools for doing analysis that only technology could supply. That's Tim's story again, NCSL's executive director. As we discussed in the previous episode, legislatures ended the last century stronger than they were at the start. But with great strength comes great responsibility, and the demands on current legislators are greater than they have ever been. Legislators who served in the House of Burgesses in Virginia in 1619, or legislators who uh, served in the territorial legislatures in the 1800s, or legislators who serve in the legislatures of the 60s and 70s, they had incredibly complex issues, and they were smart people. It's not like our legislators are any smarter or less smart than their predecessors. But what those folks didn't have, I think, is something of a volume issue and a complexity issue. Understanding and regulating issues such as cryptocurrency can stymie even the most knowledgeable of legislators. And it's bad enough to have one issue like that. Imagine a full docket of them. Of course, legislators aren't the only people feeling the strain. One of the big changes in legislatures has been the growth of interim work. And I think that's just a reflection of the complexity of issues. And of course, that puts special stress on legislative staff as well as the legislators. The scope, quantity, and complexity of legislative work has grown for both legislators and staff. But the environment in which that work takes place has also been altered dramatically by social media and the 24-hour news cycle. Clickbait headlines and news stories shared without adequate context can exacerbate differences and disagreements between parties, turning legislative coworkers into enemies online and in person. 
the real challenge is this some of the toxic nature of social media and some of the toxicity in society and some of the absolutism that exists and the outrage that exists is making it difficult for legislators to connect with each other as humans who can care about their states and and understand each other's humanity. That's something that's happened across the ideological and partisan spectrum. Order. And legislators don't just have to worry about their relationships with each other, but also with the executive branch. COVID prompted some legislators to wrest the balance of power back toward the first branch, resisting what many felt was executive overreach in responding to the pandemic's challenges. But that power struggle isn't new. It's a feature of our three-branch system. The ultimate goal of the institution is to serve the people. That includes being a counterbalance against the executive branch so that, you know, the people's voices are heard and you you bring together extremely conflicting and difficult ideas to solve a problem and you come up with solutions that are the best path forward. Twenty twenty one saw a surge of bills addressing legislative oversight of executive orders. And so some states might feel better balanced than they have in the past. But each year, each election, and each emergency will bring with it new challenges that can upset the balance of powers, requiring legislatures to continue evaluating their power and responsibilities. Striking the appropriate balance between legislative and executive branch authority is an evergreen challenge. Yet, as the 21st century dawned, new hurdles facing legislative institutions took shape, including growing public cynicism and mistrust, adapting to technological advances, and navigating the perilous waters of social media, all of which prompted a renewed focus on obligations to the institution. One of the most cited challenges facing state legislatures and American government in general is the perception of increased political polarization and less motivation to compromise, collaborate, and create coalitions beyond party ties, ideology, and geography. But those issues can be mitigated by leaders who set the tone in each chamber, by nonpartisan staff, and by committees empowered to make decisions regardless of who's in the majority, and through relationship building. NCSL's Mari Henderson has more on ways that state legislatures promote bipartisan relationships. Studies from the Pew Research Center show that Americans have become more politically polarized in recent years, and many see that divide reflected in legislatures. But bipartisan traditions can help legislators and legislative staff bridge that gap. Some enduring traditions include blended seating arrangements in states such as Maine and Tennessee, chats and chalupas in Arizona, and recently a literal sausage-making event in Montana. Margaret O'Brien, secretary of the Michigan Senate and a former legislator, uses a little sweet talk. I make cookies for every single legislator and nonpartisan staff group in the House and Senate. Every year, Margaret makes batches of cookies for her colleagues, a tradition that started when she was a legislator. And that's how I get to know people, whether they're on my side of the aisle or not when I was an elected official. People said, how did you always know that the colleagues on the other side of the aisle cared about these issues? Well, when they came to get a cookie, which most of them did, I learned that so-and-so cared about adoption. Someone else cared about the central registry. Other people cared about education. And so whenever an issue came to me that I wanted to tackle, 
I always tried to find a friend on the other side of the aisle who would partner with me. I still have the cookie jar up at the Senate rostrum. In addition to learning her colleagues' favorite cookies, Margaret got to know what mattered to them and where they might share common ground. I always figured there's a handful of core values. You know, core values are usually like three or four things. Everything else is a collaboration. It's a negotiation. It's a partnership. I'm a person of faith, and I haven't found the Bible yet tell me what's the right number for a budget. Bipartisan traditions like Margaret's cookie jar help turn political opponents into potential collaborators. And though all of these traditions started in the past, it's never too late to start something now that could become a cherished bipartisan tradition in the future. Thanks, Mari. Traditions and even small gestures can bring folks together over contentious issues. Hopefully those efforts will continue and new traditions will emerge across the states. You might remember Peveril Squire from episode two of Building Democracy. He's a professor and author of The Evolution of State Legislatures. Pev argues that legislative evolution occurs on a somewhat predictable schedule, and he sees another period of change on the horizon. After decades of limiting government, the American states may be poised for an era of institution building. As Pev put it, we are asking more and more of state legislatures. But are they keeping up with the demand? Legislatures may need to rethink what it means to invest in the institution. In the 20th century, legislatures took measurable steps to increase capacity and evolve beyond being sometime governments. They expanded the physical footprint of the institution, gaining more space in state capitals. They hired more staff. They adjusted the length of session, closely examined the number of members serving in the body, and improved committee processes. But investment in 2021 and beyond may look quite different. And the beauty of the American experiment is that what counts as investment can and will vary from state to state. Let's hear from Tim Story again, who believes that while their foundations are strong, 21st century legislatures must be better equipped to manage the ever-increasing volume and complexity of modern issues. The number of people in America has expanded exponentially. The number of lobbyists has gone up. The number of media outlets and channels for communication is at its high as it's ever been. The amount of information that comes at them through Twitter and Facebook and their friends tweeting at them and DMing them and Instagram and TikTok, you know, that stuff has grown exponentially. But what has not grown, not even a tiny bit, is the number of hours in the day. Investment might mean devoting time and resources to professional development to help lawmakers best manage information and competing demands. Investment could also include working to attract a diverse mix of people to legislative service or taking a closer look at legislator pay, always a politically tricky issue. Speaker Frierson describes how the pay problem affects Nevada's biennial citizen legislature. We've done polling here in Nevada, and folks think that state legislators earn $250,000 a year. They don't know that we earn less than $9,000 every other year. And we actually only get paid for the first 60 days, and we don't have any salary for the second 60 days. That's not how you get quality candidates to come and serve. And so we're going to have to grow up and invest in our state so that we continue to have quality public servants, not because anybody needs to get wealthy doing this, but because 
folks can't afford to not take care of their family. Over in the Senate, Majority Leader Nicole Cannizzaro echoes the idea that Nevada's strength lies in its diversity, including the diverse points of view that a citizen legislature facilitates. Legislators take pride in the fact that they aren't full-time lawmakers and that they are experts in their field, whether a teacher, a healthcare worker, a minor, or a small business owner. Those perspectives are meaningful. And so when I think about investing in ourselves, I think it is making sure that we're taking the time to preserve and honor traditions, that we're taking the time to promote diversity and diversity of thought, that we can really have deliberative conversations that are meaningful and that result in, in good pieces of policy that really solve a problem. I think the more we can do that, the more that we allow the institution to endure. And that's how you create a strong institution that doesn't just exist because a particular person may be in office at a particular time. Investment, quite literally, might also mean budgeting for and hiring more staff. Or it could look like identifying gaps in staff roles, adjusting staff pay, and providing on-the-job training and researching why staff remain in legislative employment and why they leave. All three legislative leaders we spoke to believe a strong staffing structure is integral to a successful 21st century institution. To Speaker Bedke in Idaho's part-time legislature, staff are essential for ensuring the legislative branch is an effective counterweight to the executive. If you're going to be equal and separate, you still have to have the staff and the expertise so that you're not leaning on the expertise that comes out of the executive branch. In addition to their expertise and their ability to bolster the capacity of the legislative branch, staff matter because they often serve as the backbone of the institution. Particularly in term-limited states, staff may serve longer than legislators and they develop deep reserves of institutional knowledge, memory, and experience. In Michigan, legislators are term limited. Senators can only serve for eight years, but staff may serve for decades. Margaret O'Brien of Michigan again. We are often the first resources, the first stops to all elected officials. And it's important that we work to maintain the history and the traditions. Staff are necessary for legislatures to function. Here's Mari with more about how staff have kept legislatures running from the very beginning. Let's point our time machine back into the past, to our first episode over a year ago. In it, we covered the inaugural meeting of the Virginia House of Burgesses in 1619. The first democratically elected legislators got center stage, but sitting at the right hand of the speaker and standing by the door to the old church house were the two first legislative staffers in what would become the United States. John Twine was the first clerk, a role borrowed from England's House of Parliament, and Peter Pierce, the first sergeant-at-arms. It is thanks to Twine's correspondence and session journal, which he sent back to the Virginia Company in London, that we know what happened during the first meeting of the Burgesses. And it's due to Pierce that the session ran smoothly and safely when legislative duties and public relations got heated. These two staff helped begin the relay of democracy, and they passed the baton of dedication to all those who followed over the last four centuries and into perpetuity. 
Current Secretary of the Michigan Senate, Margaret O'Brien, is very aware of her place in this enduring race. You're just one piece of the relay. This is a really long relay that everyone's running. It's a relay in Michigan that's been happening since 1835. That's when we consider we became a state. And it's a relay that's not going to stop with me. And so you have to be able to understand and respect your place in time. Thanks for that history lesson, Mari. Now, to follow in the footsteps of Marty McFly and Dr. Emmett Brown, we go back to the future. The House of Burgesses met 402 years ago, and when we compare it to the legislatures of today, we can see that they've undergone massive transformations. And yet, we've also learned that much remains the same. The basics haven't changed. Legislatures create laws, they appropriate funds, They provide a forum for the public to participate in decision-making. They serve as a voice for unique constituencies across each state. Legislatures still have rules that govern their work. They create a record of their proceedings. And they are continuously trying to find balance with the other two branches of government. So maybe, as we think about the 21st century legislature, the best thing that can be said is the more things change, the more they stay the same. Let's hear Majority Leader Canizaro's thoughts on the future of state legislatures. I would hope that this institution is still here and doesn't become something that people don't have faith in or can't believe in the process of or feel as though it is simply a a rubber stamp for certain ideas, that it truly is a place where people can come and have their voices heard, their concerns met, and where the legislators are really doing the job that they were elected to do in debating policy. I love being in the legislature because you really do get the full flavor of the state of Nevada. And I hope that in 50 years that still exists and that it's not a homogenous, one-note type of thought, that all these different experiences and the richness of it and the state in its very many different ways in which it exists really does still live in this building. Even as legislatures will need to hold on to what has made them vital, enduring institutions of democracy, they will also need to adapt to the challenges, known and unknown, of the future. It may be hard to anticipate what specific changes will be necessary and when, But legislatures prepare themselves to act nimbly when the time comes by thinking about how to make those changes. What rules, records, and perspectives need to be considered? How can civil discourse facilitate those changes? Margaret O'Brien shares her thoughts. History and traditions can change, but let's make sure it's intentional. It's with thought. Let's just not do it because... People were upset about something, so we decided to change it. Let's have a great dialogue and conversation, and then let's document why that change was made so 50 years after that, somebody else can decide if the legislature should change again. This entire podcast series has been about the histories and traditions of state legislatures and how those institutions have changed. Sometimes slowly, sometimes abruptly, sometimes seamlessly, sometimes with great resistance. And throughout it all, we've focused on people's stories, 
on the individuals who've dedicated their lives to public service, the legislative institution, and democracy. We often use that word institution, and our minds tend to go to these big granite capitals that exist, like that's the institution. But really, the institution is the lifeblood, the, the human flesh and bones people that are in there at any given point in history trying to do their best to deal with the problems that they've been dealt and to make that institution stronger, to move forward so that the institution survives beyond the individual interests of the legislators. And they have to decide, you know, are we, we going to make this institution stronger? Are we going to leave it better for the next group that comes behind us in this long line? While many early legislative reforms centered on the structure and shape of the institution, future-looking reforms would do well to focus on the institution's animating force, the people who serve, work, and participate within it. Legislatures that reflect on the institution and how to invest in its future will be stronger 21st century legislatures for it, holding up their part in a long chain of state legislative work and continuing the legacy of Building Democracy. Building Democracy, the story of legislatures, is created by the National Conference of State Legislatures. Your hosts are Megan McClure and Mandy Zock. Thanks to today's guests, Nevada Senate Majority Leader Nicole Canazaro, Idaho Speaker Scott Bedke, Nevada Speaker Jason Frierson, Michigan Senate Secretary Margaret O'Brien, and NCSL Executive Director Tim Story. Thanks also to Mari Henderson for her voice and expertise. Appreciation to Mike Tennant and Nina Pollock of Podfly for production and editing. We thank you for listening to Building Democracy and hope you enjoyed the series as much as we did making it. We wish to thank the many legislators, legislative staff, historians, and scholars who contributed to its creation. Building Democracy is recorded at hastily crafted home studios in Denver, Colorado. 